My name is Toby Haydoke, but I bet that's not how you pronounce it. Uh, hello there, Doctor Who addicts. I hope you are well. Uh, I mean, as well as people who obsessively make lists fulminate over unresolved continuity issues and remember production codes can possibly be, which in most spheres of wellness probably doesn't even come close. Hey-ho! At least you haven't decided to spend every spare moment indulging in your obsession by kidnapping as many people from Doctor Who as possible. I have, and my next guest is a charming fellow who is married to my previous guest. Want to know more? Buckle up. And, um, well, welcome back. Uh, if you listened to the last podcast, you haven't travelled very far to listen to this one, because I'm on Skype again to the same household. So I'm going to ask uh, my next victim to explain why that is, and indeed who he is, and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Right. My name is Ian Fraser, and I'm the production manager on Who with Colin Dacre and Sylvester McCoy. Um, I was uh, working in independent television, uh, Yorkshire television, and uh, Paddy Russell uh, suggested that I might go to the BBC because I was working with Paddy at the time. And so there was a, a show uh, called... Um, Moon Stallion, which was being directed by one of the most incredible ladies, uh, Dorothea Brooking. And uh, I joined her, and that's when I started at BBC. Um, I had uh, a long list of working on things like um, uh, <laughs> the fated um, sea story with uh, going to uh, Denmark and sailing back across the the, the, the sea, North Sea to uh, back right. to Harwich and uh, on Triangle. Oh, <laughs> possibly the greatest television program ever made. Yeah. I can tell you, it was the most enjoyable one. Um, we had one um, journey which was. <clears throat> the captain of the ship was uh, ordered out, despite the fact there was going to be a, a huge storm. And it was, we were 24 hours at sea uh, late um, because of the storm. And the BBC had to phone everybody's families and everything, tell them they were alive, but we, you know, we were going to be very late. And we had to, uh, two people die on that. Uh, one was a passenger, and the other was a, a wardrobe uh, person who uh, unfortunately died in his cabin. You know, so that was uh, that was quite uh, quite a sad program, really. You know, but it was uh, it was still worth doing, I think. And I guess the show the show just has to go on, does it, under those circumstances? Yeah, yes, yes. You 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 don't stop shooting. Goodness me. And um, the, the, um, the reason uh, we're in the same house that we were for the last podcast is because you are the husband of uh, another uh, 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 Doctor Who alumnus, uh, um, Fiona Cummings. So how did you two meet? That's right. Well, I met Fiona many, many years ago. We were both at the same college in Glasgow. Um, and uh, I was smitten by her then with her green eyebrows and smoking a pipe. And uh, 
we went our separate ways after that, and uh, I met her again in, uh, I think it was 79, was it? Yes. In 1979, uh, when she was working with uh, Glasgow, uh, she was doing Omega Factor, but I met her again. And uh, we just fell in love. And, well, I'd never lost enough for her anyway. <laughs> but uh, in the meantime, I'd been married and divorced and uh, had two children. And uh, they accepted Fiona as if it was way out of, you know, she was really very generous with them. And they were, they fell in love with her, you know, like I did. <laughs> so we got married in 80, uh, 1981, I think it was. Yes. No 1980. 19, oh, 1980. Sorry, you see, my memory. <laughs> well, it's a good job you did that now rather than on a, an, an anniversary. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I still remember the, the date of the, of the wedding, so that's fine. <laughs> um, and then I, I started work with, as I say, Dorothy and Munstallion, and then uh, did uh, quite a few others, uh, you know, off and on. Um, not full time with them because I was freelance. I never ever did sign a contract with BBC. I remained freelance uh, my whole session with BBC. Um, we. It was very funny because we. Uh, I just finished um, Triangle when uh, John and I became friends, and uh, we. He kept talking about who and all the rest of it. And I thought, well, it might be interesting to do. I never thought any more about it. And then suddenly I got a call uh, saying, could I do Doctor Who? And I said, yeah, of course. You know, why not? And uh, I'm not one of those people who is uh, a total Who fan, but um, I enjoyed working with Who, and, uh, and especially with Colin and Sylvester because they were great fun. Well, and between your household then, because Fiona was saying before she'd done uh, the first five and you did six and seven, you've, you've done the whole of the classic series of Doctor Who's Doctors. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And uh, it's, uh, it's fun to sort of compare uh, what is happening now, because in those days, I mean, our budget for Doctor Who, because I was... I knew what we had to spend because being production manager uh, was £24,000 an episode. You know, which is, compared to what is happening now is a huge, huge vast difference. Yeah, you've spent grand by breakfast, I should think, on today's show. That's right. But that's what we had and that's how it, how it went on. Um, I remember working with uh, uh, Nick Mallett um, doing um, one of Sylvester's programs. It was the Curse of Pendek. And uh, we had, uh, Nick and I discussed the script and thought, you know, this is not a studio bound uh, episode. And we went to John, and I had to guarantee to John that I would not spend over 24,000 pounds, you know, for the episode which was uh, a very hard thing to do because we, we went down to Lowell's Cove and, and stuff and we shot the whole thing on outside and uh, it was a 
wonderful, wonderful episode. There was one moment when uh, we were on the beach and uh, we had to get down. We had to go down by rope because it was the only way we could get everything down. You know, and coming back up, we had to come up by rope as well. You know, so we had ropes slung down the side of the cliff to be able to get up and down. And uh, it, it took some organising, I can tell you. It's that they're very handsomely shot episodes, though, and full of action. Yeah. They're, uh, I think, they're considered to be uh, some of the best of of that latter latter yeah. part of the show's history. Yeah, Nick was a, a, a fabulous director, actually. You, you know, and he. He would listen to what people said. You know, he wasn't one of one of those uh, directors who'd say, "This is how we're going to do it." He would say, "I want to do it this way, but is there an, uh, another way of improving this?" And he used to listen to what people said. You know, which was a huge plus, and that's why I think the, those episodes worked beautifully. He's a curious contrast, though, Nick Malik, because um, the previous story he'd done, which was Paradise Towers, slightly larger than life and all in the studio, is one where people seem to feel that the tone sort of bounced slightly askew and it's it's quite an uncertain rendering of that script. Whereas Curse of Fenric, I think most people acknowledge as, is one that he absolutely nailed. Was it that he was more comfortable outside, or...? I think so. He, he was much more a filmmaker than he was uh, a television director. Um... And we found uh, Paradise Towers was quite a slog, actually, in the studio. Um, because uh, there were so many things that went wrong there. Um, with, with the set itself, which was very difficult to, to actually work in together, you know. It, it, was, it was not a, a good episode for us. Well, I guess subtlety is not high on the agenda when you've got Richard Bryars playing... Hitler as a caretaker. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, again, uh, the, you know, you, you had casts that uh, were actually, as you say, you know, well-known actors and, and people to work with. And uh, the Spriggs lady was absolutely wonderful, you know. And Richard was, of course, they lightened the whole program, actually. Uh, when you were working, there was always a gag. There was always something that made you laugh. So the whole studio would relax again, you know, uh, out of the, the whole um, series of things that went wrong. <laughs> so you, you'd been introduced to the show by, by John to work with, with Colin Baker. T- tell, us about, tell us about that and tell us about Colin and tell us about, you know, what were the things that surprised you when you... You know, having done your job on sort of normal programmes, if you like, what were the things that suddenly struck you about Doctor Who that you went, oh, God, I've got to do this? Well, the whole atmosphere of the thing. Um, You suddenly became aware that you were working in a realm of pure, pure fantasy, you know, uh, and not, you know, fiction and fantasy, although they're, they're classed as the same, they're not the same. And the attitudes are not the same, you know. And so the the whole thing became, for me, very exciting. And uh, I found working with the various directors that I did, it, it was just, you know, a terribly exciting period of, of, of my uh, life there. 
And what what do you remember of uh, of Colin, who was um, you know he, when he took the part, he he said he wanted to go on forever because he, he clearly loved playing Doctor Who. Yes, he did. He loved every minute of it. And I worked with Colin in uh, the theatre as well um, because he did the pantomime that we did this um, Cinderella. He did that in Southampton, uh, and then in uh, in Brighton. And he was he was just absolutely superb in that. And he carried he had an air about him of complete relaxation in his character, in the way he approached it, and the way he involved everybody in in working together. You know, he was a great reliever of tension. Again, one of those people who could he could feel tension building and would immediately relax it. No, there was a, the one moment in the the Time Lords. It was the studio was uh, quite tense at the start of it, and uh, we went into the scene where he's walking towards the huge doors going into the trial room, and uh, he grabbed hold of both handles to pull the doors open, and both handles came off, and the whole studio just erupted. No. And so the tension disappeared again, you know, and and he he was able to do that so well, Colin. A trial of a Time Lord, of course, was when the show had just come back off hiatus. That's right. So was there was there was there a sort of worry um, worrying atmosphere? You know, we we were aware that you, it was, there was a show. It was a show that was itself on trial. That's, that's right, right. Uh, and, and that's, that's where, where the tension started, started, you know, because, because everybody, everybody was aware of of. Uh, uh, what would happen if it didn't work, you know, or what might happen if it didn't work, you know. But in fact, I think uh, Colin carried it off very well, actually. Yeah, and what, what else do you remember about about Trial? It was, uh, it's, uh, you know, sort of turning point for the show, really. Yeah, yeah, well, he, he uh, Trial was a very complicated uh, script-wise, because, you know, a lot of people got lost in the script, they didn't realise um, what the main line of the story was, unfortunately. Because, you know, the rest of that, that apart from the trial uh, and the Time Lodge uh, scenes and stuff, nobody could really get to grips with the story. You know, and uh, it wasn't until we went into the various things he had been charged with that uh, people suddenly realised what it was. And you both were, were big friends with, with John Nathan Turner, who I guess, who certainly from fandom bore the brunt of a lot of the difficulties that... So yes. um, he, he seems to have been a very formidable character, but it, was, it must have been very tough for him. It was terribly tough for John. Um, he... I had a lot of time for him because, and well, not only that, uh, Fiona and I became business partners with him anyway for the theatre shows. And we were, um, I was very upset, but then that's, <laughs> that's in the past now, as he's no longer with us. You know. uh, one of the things that John had wanted was he had done so many seasons of Who uh, that he had asked them uh, to make sure that this would be his last season and that he would go on to something else um, and they kept saying 
Well, we can't lose you, John, because you're the only one that can deal with the American side of this, and the worldwide and uh, franchises and stuff, despite the fact he wanted to come off it. You know, and uh, he eventually got very tired. Um, and uh, I think that was uh, one of the, the reasons that he uh, succumbed to an illness, you know, which is um, a bit sad. So, because uh, the, yeah, the Doctor Who fan theory is sort of divided between those that, um, you know, say that he was responsible for the end of the show and those that say, well, the show probably wouldn't have lasted as long as it did if it hadn't been for him because there was no love for it within the BBC. I, I guess you're, you're saying that the latter was the case. Yes, there, there was certainly no love from the management of the BBC about uh, Doctor Who. Uh, definitely not. Um, People like uh, Grade had started already saying that he wanted rid of it. He didn't like it. And Jonathan Powell was the same. And uh, the, the whole thing became a, a nightmare for John. Um, and so they got rid of poor Colin after uh, Trial of a Time Lord, um, yeah. which I guess must have come out of the blue. Well, it did, because he came down to the theatre. I mean, he was appearing at Cinderella at the time. And he had been summoned up to London. And he went up to London and was told that uh, they were going to change the doctor. And he came back into the theatre for that performance that night, absolutely devastated. And it was not a, it wasn't a good uh, thing to do. I mean, it was just something he just, uh, you know, they, they had no thought for the people concerned. But as we ascertained with Triangle, the show has to go on, and uh, uh, along came the first Scottish Doctor, Sylvester. Sylvester, yes. He was great fun. Uh, and he introduced all sorts of things like his uh, juggling and his magic tricks and stuff like that. But he had to be, actually, um, John at one point had to say to him, no more tricks. Not this week. <laughs> so it went on like that. Um, but, I mean, Sylvester was a joy, you know. And you'd have to wrangle uh, Doctor Who's most famous adversaries, uh, the Daleks, and their most famous adversaries, Cobbled Streets. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was amazing to watch. Uh, I mean, I had uh, one... Uh, we were down in uh, London uh, in uh, the... Bridge on the Waterloo Station. Yeah. And this battle with the Daleks, a huge um, in which they, they were firing uh, the guns, if you like, at uh, various things and fighting. And uh, we had a huge explosion. And there was a, a police lady who was stationed with us all the time. And uh, we had this one massive explosion which went off. And suddenly all the alarm bells started ringing and uh, the, she heard over a radio there's a bomb come off at Waterloo Station you know and she was vainly calling down no it's not a bomb it's Doctor Who and the smoke and everything was everywhere and suddenly out of the smoke came fire engines and they ground to us a halt great screeching when they saw the Daleks coming <laughs> And the faces of the drivers and the firemen were a picture. And I just wish we had been able to snap that 
you know, or get that on film somehow. Because suddenly, out of the blue, came these dialects. You know, that the the uh, special effects lots were marvelous on that. Because again, we had another explosion uh, at a factory, and uh, as the the dialects were supposed to go towards the, the gate and blow it up and everything else. And I said to the special effects guys, now, are these, uh, the people inside the Daleks going to be okay? And they said, oh yes, yes, it's not a huge explosion. And I thought, right, okay, and took all the people out of the Daleks and said, out now. We arranged the Daleks as they stand in front of the gate and the explosion happens. It blew them all over. <laughs> it was so big that they were all blown over. And if anybody had been inside them, they would have got themselves very badly hurt. So there's a, there's a few Dalek operators who, who, who owe their lives to you. <laughs> well, I, I think they might have been a bit uh, upset. <laughs> and you also you haven't just appeared behind the camera because for Doctor's 25th anniversary, which seems like yesterday to me, but obviously now we're celebrating the 50th, uh, that explains some of my greyer hairs. Uh, you uh, you nipped in front of the camera as a sort of in joke for part one of Silver Nemesis. That's right. That's right. Uh, there, there were quite uh, quite a few of us involved that day. Fiona was involved. Uh, Peter Peter Moffat Moffat yes, and uh, Gary Downey of course was the uh, uh, was the production manager on that. So. He had suggested to John, and John had agreed that maybe we should have, uh, as extras, some of the people who had worked on the show. So <laughs> we all appeared there, you know. And it was, it was very funny, actually, because we were not allowed to have our lunch. We had to pay for our own lunch. <laughs> yeah. Well, the extras got their lunch, we didn't, yeah. Uh, we had to do. We had to go down to the hotel and buy our own lunch, you know. But it, it, it was it was great fun to do, and it, 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 again it lightened the the atmosphere of, uh, of what we were doing, you know. Well, that's lovely, and I've I've I mean I've I've, I've prayed upon the time of of your household for nearly an hour and a half now, so I will um, I will let you go, but I will ask uh, for your what's your you think your favourite memory of working on Doctor Who then? And my favourite memory was uh, well. It's a favourite memory in a in a slightly strange way. Uh, we were filming down at Rye with Colin, and we had come across this uh, sort of summer house out on the sands. And I had uh, approached the harbour master because he was the one who was supposedly in charge, and said, "I need a key for that summer house if it's all right to use." And he said, "Yes, it's all right to use, and I've got a key." And I said, "Fine." Okay, and uh, we went down, and I went to the master and he didn't have a key, so we changed the locks on the, on the summer house, uh, only to discover later when I was hauled upstairs that it belonged to somebody else who was threatening to sue us. <laughs> you know, but we actually uh, managed to get away with that. But, uh, you know, the, the, some of those things, those things happen from time to time, you know. And we nearly drowned Colin in the pit that we had dug in the in the sands, uh, because uh, when we were digging it, uh, the design people had forgotten about the water table. 
so it was empty, it was nice and dry when uh, he went into it, and suddenly as the tide was coming in, of course the water started to seep up from under. Oh. <laughs> so he was lying in a, in a pond of water, you know. I mean, they, they, various things like that happened uh, during, during the course of the, of the shooting, and, and it, it was... Uh, Colin, of course, took it with a huge laugh. He thought it was very funny. Well, never mind Triangle. I'm surprised how many people nearly died when you were making Doctor Who. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, things that happen uh, on Who which were, you know, accidental, of course, but, um, you know, some of it could have been avoided if uh, more uh, attention had been paid to uh, special effects and stuff, you know. Well, everyone lived to fight another day. Um, and uh, Fiona has nominated a charity, but we're, we're doing this as a separate podcast, so uh, you can nominate the same one or a different one. It's up to you. Well, it will be the same, because um, Marie Curie is, is a great uh, helper with uh, cancer, and uh, it's, I'm very grateful um, for the treatment that Fiona's had, uh, and they're still getting. She's you go on Monday to uh, the oncologist's department in Dumfries uh, for another check for her. But she's coming up to the five year. Uh, in September, it'll be five years since she was first diagnosed. So we're looking forward to the fifth year, the end of the fifth year, in which we will have a party. <laughs> well, we certainly wish you all the very best. Um, and. Uh, uh, and also ask you for it's, uh, it's the fiftieth year of uh, of Doctor Who. So, what's your message to all the fans out there who are listening? Well, they should continue to support Who uh, because the development of Who is quite important. There are a lot of things that ha- are happening in Who now, which um, portray the uh, advance in science. Funny enough. In, in a way that we couldn't have done uh, as the classic Who's and to see that happen is, is absolutely marvellous so support it for the rest of the time it's running and I hope it keeps going for a long, long time Well, thank you very much Ian Fraser, thank you Thank you, it's a pleasure Oh, well, that's brilliant. Thank you very much, both of you. I much appreciate that I've taken up a lot of your time, and uh, those were both fantastic interviews, so thank you. All right, and thank you for even thinking of interviewing us. Absolutely. A no-brainer for me, and and I'm just so pleased you're so willing to take part. Thank you. All right, then, Tony. Okay, well, keep in touch. Yes, we will. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. My thanks to Ian and indeed Fiona. I hope you listen to her podcast as well. Uh, and I'm sure you will join me in wishing them all the very best. And hey, we can help by going to www.mariecurie.org.uk and giving what we can. mariecurie.org.uk M-A-R-I-E-C-U-R-I-E Every little helps, and if we all give a little, that'll be a lot. And a lot really helps. And remember to let us know your thoughts or to put me in touch with anyone who could help with this quest at podcasts at bigfinish.com. I'm burning the Skype at both ends at the moment. Tomorrow I'm up at 5.30am. 
to contact a gentleman who I think might be the only person to have worked on both Doctor Who and Omen Away. He's also directed some of the most memorable BBC dramas and doubtless has many stories to tell. I'll be very tired though. Join me on the next Toby Haydoke's Who's Round. You know we belong together. Follow me on Twitter at Toby Haydoke, T-O-B-Y-H-A-D-O-K-E, and check out my blog at www.tobyhaydoke.com. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, The Fourth Doctor Adventures. Danger, Master! Detecting hostile life forms! Doctor Who, the Dalek contract. Daleks? Ah, now there's a question. Isn't the Proxima system where the alarm were damaged by Cuthbert's mysterious experiment? Let's start powering up, shall we? Oh, and you make sure that there are no more attacks. The Daleks really do make you nervous, don't they? What? Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com.